0: Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ernest, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also supported by Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean and forest just an hour from the Willamette Valley, that this spring will offer special volunteer vacations, designed for visitors to spend a day doing a stewardship project and another heading out on the wild Tillamook Coast for an adventure. It's free and a way to have fun and give back, and we'll have more details on this experience a little bit later in the show. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department invites Oregonians to explore parks during winter and spring to experience the beauty of those seasons. If you're camping, remember to buy firewood from the park or nearby community to avoid bringing invasive species, such as the devastating emerald ash borer, into parks. Learn more about protecting Oregon's ash trees at stateparks.oregon.gov. Alright, in today's episode, we're traveling over the mountains and into the canyon of a unique desert river that is the opposite of straight. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. Alright, well congratulations to everyone who figured out my cheesy little joke there at the top, but yes, today we are heading to the Crooked... River. We're going to talk about hiking, camping, whitewater kayaking, and even bungee jumping before we spend some extra time talking about the area's iconic fly fishing with a local expert. So we're going to run a gamut of adventures on this podcast. Now for most people, the Crooked River is best known as that river that winds through Smith Rock State Park, but there is so much more than that. As our spring outdoors intern Charlie Gearing found out on a recent trip to the area and he joins us now. Hey, Charlie,
1: how's it going? Hey, Zach, doing great today. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking with you and our listeners about the Crooked. All right, so today we're going to
0: focus on a bunch of things you can do in the Crooked River area, and it's almost certainly more than you might expect. But Charlie, how would you describe the Crooked River as a recreation area? Like, what does it bring to the table,
1: and what makes it stand out? So what attracted me originally to the Crooked, as well as probably many people, is the fly fishing. This river offers some of the best wading fishing you can find in Central Oregon. It's largely public land. There are several day use areas and the highway, Highway 27, which runs directly along the east bank of the Crooked River from Prineville, has more pull-offs than you could probably ever fish in one day. The other aspect is the fish density. This section, which is where I spent all my time on the Crooked last week, can have up to 7,000 fish per mile. Sounds high, and that is extremely high. I would be remiss to say that fly fishing is all the area has to offer, though. Um, The scenery, the hiking opportunities, and the wildlife viewing in this area are all reasons to visit. The campgrounds are excellent, and you'll find that even the larger ones spread out in a way, and they're organized in a way that gives most, if not all, campsites direct access to the river, which is really special. So let's drill down into some details. As I mentioned off the
0: top, most people know this as a river that flows through Smith Rock. But when we talk about this area, when we talk about all the recreation in this area, what's the general
1: location that we're focusing on? So last week, I spent all my time in the Chimney Rock segment of what's called the Crooked, Wild, and Scenic River area, which is essentially the seven and a half mile stretch directly below the Bowman Dam, um, kind of going towards prineville uh, about 25 ish miles south of Pineville. The area has loads of recreation opportunities and a lot of similar scenery to Smith Rock, but without the crowds. I value this a lot. It's an area that's accessible, extremely scenic with plenty to do while still maintaining a sense of remote wildness.
0: Okay. As I mentioned, we're going to hit on a bunch of stuff to do in this area. So it's we're going to talk about hiking, camping, boating, and especially fishing. And it seems like there's a common theme to the best time to do all that. But Charlie, when do you think people should head out to the Crooked River area for all the good stuff that it has to
1: offer? So I think spring, early summer, and fall uh, are going to be the best times to get out there and enjoy this area. It's sort of opinion laden because I'm not someone who loves extreme heat if you're good with that i think middle late summer would be fine time to go out there uh, as well as you're you know prepared to be getting up early for any hiking bringing plenty of water and of course packing a swimsuit for me though i prefer spring early summer and fall it's gonna be less hot so you can enjoy more of the day get up and enjoy it when you want to rather than getting up super early to enjoy the area before the heat of the day all right so we've got a time to visit We've got the location.
0: Uh, what about a place to stay? If you're headed out to the Crooked to fish or hike, um,
1: where do you stay and kind of what are your options? What's the, what's a good town to get supplied up? So I mentioned this earlier uh, briefly. The Highway 27 corridor, which kind of houses most of these campgrounds, um, starts in Prineville and goes directly through the wild and scenic area uh, of the Crooked River. And it provides access to, I believe, seven different biographies bureau- Bureau of Land Management Campgrounds. Um, these are a real thrifty $8 per night. Yes, the campgrounds go right along the road for the most part, but I wouldn't personally worry about too much noise from the road. I can remember while well camping at Chimney Rock Campground, which is very central. It's kind of right in the middle of the scenic area. Um, and it's probably one of the busier spots just because there is a trailhead there. But, you know, I remember staying there. We, we would go a half hour, maybe longer, without hearing or seeing a car go by let alone you know, any other people. There really was just nobody around, and I'm sure that had a lot to do with the timing of my trip. I went midweek, um, but I equally think this is a stretch that is just less visited than the more crowded area up near Smith Rock. As I mentioned, the Chimney Rock campground, where I stayed both nights of my visit, that's a really great spot. There are 17 or 16 sites at this one, and every single one of them has great water access, kind of its own little personal beach when the water levels are... Are what they should be and need to be for for swimming fly fishing uh, etc uh you hear the river all night long it's really peaceful and across the street from the campground is the chimney rock trailhead which is a short yet awesome mountain back hike that we'll we'll be talking about again shortly you know you you mentioned getting supplies and, and those kinds of things prineville is only 20 to 25 minutes away from here um so you'll have no problem running to town to get firewood food or other car camping needs Um, In many ways, these campgrounds are far enough away from town to be quiet, peaceful, and scenic, but they are definitely close enough to town to be convenient and easy. Um, Aside from tank camping, there's a couple hotels in Prineville. There's also a couple ranches in the proximity and a few RV camping spots as well.
0: Okay, we've got our base camp why don't we start out with the easiest and most straightforward of the adventures you've already talked a lo- you know a decent bit about fishing, but some people uh that head out to this area are just looking for hiking. Where did you explore with your hiking boots, Charlie? I read the story you wrote about a place you went. sounds like a pretty good one so
1: so talk about that yeah, so I did a lot of walking and hiking in this area um, each campground and day use area and and I saw most of them while exploring kind of different fishing holes. they each have their own kind of small network of bank access trails so whether or not you're gonna be fishing you should definitely check this out Um, each spot is going to have its own pretty unique view of the crooked river canyon it's a place with these huge high prominent rocks right along the river it's beautiful and and each of these spots to get down close to the river is going to give you a different view the chimney rock hike though uh, is is a really special one it's pretty short just 2.6 miles out and back only took me about an hour and offers some really incredible views of the Canyon, deep red kind of lichen covered basalt cliffs. There's sagebrush, great bird watching. And even in my case, a, a decently large rattlesnake, which, um, came in, you know, kind of had a run in with, he went away. There was no problem, but it was cool. It's a wild place. And I, and I definitely recommend checking it out. This is actually one of the only trailheads in the area. Um, but it's great. It, it begins kind of through a canyon surrounded by juniper and ponderosa pine trees, you know, all the, the usual desert suspects, so to speak. Um, and then you end up kind of going along this pretty substantial cliff that gets kind of increasingly higher as, as you go on the hike. Um, and on clear days, you can catch a really great view of the Cascades here um, while you're walking along this this cliff edge, which is cool. You know, for, for people like us um, who live on the west side, we don't often get that that extreme amazingly prominent view of the cascades kind of erupting right out of the desert. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, as you're, as you're walking along the cliff, it'll kind of vary in intensity from, from a gradual incline to sort of a plateau and then you'll reach the namesake uh, monument, which is the chimney rock. It's a cylinder shaped, very prominent rock face. It's highly weathered and, and comes out of the highly stratified cliffs, almost giving you a, a great hands-on geology lesson, if you will. And uh, mm. it's really cool, really special. And especially if you're like me and, and live and hike mostly in the Valley and the Cascades. Can you climb Chimney Rock itself? Uh, like, could you rock climb it? Can you, can you hike up to it? Tell me about Chimney Rock. The rock itself kind of comes out of the side of the cliff and the end of the hike is, is the base of it. Basically you can't, really get on the rock itself I, I don't know if anybody's ever climbed it but i i wouldn't think it would be recommended it's pretty brittle you know it's it's kind of shale like I don't, I don't know if that's exactly what it is but it's it's pretty brittle and steep and it's also like right on the edge of a cliff so you probably wouldn't want to climb it um all right so he charlie just talked about chimney rock trail
0: and and that's one that's in his area i'm going to mention really quick that of course you know we've mentioned smith rock a few times one of the best rock climbing spots on earth a great place to hike as well i'm not going to talk a ton about it because we actually just posted a separate podcast that is all about smith rock Um, I interviewed the park manager about the changes coming to the park for parking. They're going to build a visitor center. They're doing a bunch of stuff at Smith Rock, but check out that podcast if you're interested in it. But look, we're doing a podcast about the Crooked River, so I have to mention it. One other place to hike in this area that I wanted to mention was actually brought up in another recent podcast by guidebook author Matt Reeder. He was recently talking about his new book and Oregon's Best Spring Hikes, and again, on that theme of this area being cool in the spring and early summer, he mentioned an excellent hiking trail in the Crooked River area. So here's some audio of him talking about that.
2: And so this is in the Central Oregon High Desert near Terrebonne and Redmond. This is a place called Scout Camp that is at the very edge of what is called the Crooked River Ranch, which is a, a large housing and land development between the Deschutes River and the Crooked River. Just west of terribon and scout camp is one of the most beautiful places in oregon in my opinion and yet another hike on the deschutes i, I could have also written an, an entire guidebook just on hikes along the deschutes river but this is a spot where you start at the top so you're hiking down and you have to hike back out but in just 2.3 miles total mm-hmm. and just 2.3 miles you get to pass Amazing wildflower displays, really great views of the cascades, really great views down into the Deschutes Canyon, and red, orange, and even slightly purple cliffs above the Deschutes River and a natural rock arch. Mm-hmm. All in one air, all in one hike that takes at most three hours to do..
0: Okay, we've talked about camping. We've talked about some hiking, and shortly, we're going to talk a lot about fishing. But this is a beautiful river, and on this podcast, we love talking about running rapids. And in the spring, when this river gets high enough, it's one of the state's best places to run some really wild rapids, one of the most scenic places to run rapids. Last year, me and a bunch of Oregon's biggest river rats did a draft of our 20 favorite rafting and kayaking trips in the state. And Zach Collier, the owner of Northwest Rafting Company, picked the Crooked as one of his rivers. So I wanted to include a little audio of him talking about that. So here that is now. But no, you get another one. So what what do you got for
3: your third round? I'll take one worth less points, but I think is really special. And that's the Crooked River. And it's not one that you can book as a commercial trip. It's not a commercial. It's mostly for kayakers and rafters. It flows near Bend. Uh, just north of Bend, a lot of people, if you drive to Bend from from Hood River or Portland, you've driven over the bridge that crosses it. And I wouldn't normally pick such an erratic run, but it's that good. It has big Class Four rapids, one Class Five. Again, a big desert canyon. Uh, it's complicated logistics, and only flows like four or five days a year at the most. So it's again, it's hard to get on, but it's a, one of the my favorite trips I've ever done anywhere.
0: And that's the one that goes through Smith yep. Rock. So are you actually floating through Smith yep. Rock State Park? Yep.
3: yep. You launch just above there. You, you launch a few miles above. You do like a mile and a half of just nonstop class four. And you just get this beautiful float through Smith Rocks where you're looking up at people rock climbing. I mean, I've <laughs> made eye contact with the rock climbers before from a raft, which is really cool. And <laughs> at Rafter Smith Rocks ends that little flat section, it gets, it gets pretty busy again.
0: Yeah, well I'm curious like do you, do you like float past hikers who yeah. are just like what in the, like, <laughs> what, what's happening here like I didn't know this was possible do you get a bunch of gawkers Uh
3: you know usually when we're there I don't remember seeing many hikers I just remember seeing a lot of a lot of climbers Uh mm-hmm. it's definitely not a normal thing to see a raft floating through there uh but when the season where the 4 or 5 days a year when there is water rafters and kayakers throughout the state and even beyond Oregon flocked to there because it's such a special gem. So when it is running, it's pretty common to see a lot of boaters on the water. And what does it take for it to be running? Is it like super heavy rain
0: in central Oregon? That's that's just so rare or what, what, like what combination of things do you need to make
3: it happen? It's a good snowpack, but also there's a bunch of diversions and dams upstream. So it's just when they release. So there's kind of Uh no rhyme or reason. It just happens to be, if there's not a good snowpack, it won't run at all. But if there's a good snowpack, they're more likely to release water from the dams. And it's a super complicated system. So it's, it's a bit of luck.
0: Gotcha. Well, Crooked River, yeah, that'd definitely be on the bucket list. Jared or Jacob, have either one of you guys been able to, to jump on, on the Crooked at any point?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's, I think Zach summed it up pretty well as it's just one of the more
0: special rivers in Oregon. And, and when it's in, people flock there. And if it ran more often, it would, it would see a lot more use. Uh, yeah, I grew up with
2: stories from my dad. That was one of his favorite rivers growing up. And so getting to paddle it for my first time was, uh, a cool experience for me, uh, remembering all those stories that he had told me and then getting to live them for myself.
3: I mean, if there was a dam above it that controlled the water, I don't, I'm not advocating for dams, but you know, if there was a dam that controlled the water flow and reliable put in and take out, it would be probably the most popular day trip in the world it's stunning
0: now if whitewater isn't enough to get your heart racing believe it or not you can actually bungee jump 250 feet into the crooked river canyon you can do this from a little known state park called peter Skeen ogden state scenic viewpoint right off highway 97 so this is pretty close to smith rock too the the business that does this is called Central Oregon Bungee Adventures, and it's pretty simple. You pay, you get harnessed up, and then you get you jump off the bridge into this massive gorge. Check out the videos online; it's it's pretty wild. I've had some friends who have done it. I've never done it personally, um, but one of the things that's interesting about it is this bungee jumping operation that operates at a state park was one of the pilot programs when state parks was experimenting with this idea beginning about five years ago that, you know, maybe people wanted something a little bit more at state parks. Like state parks have always done the camping thing. They've always had hiking and, you know, nature programs and stuff. They thought, you know, maybe people wanted a little more adrenaline. And so they've started partnering with these outfitters and, you know, creating these more unique opportunities and bungee jumping into the crooked river Canyon was one of them it's about as interesting as it gets and so it worked people have liked it it's stayed popular and so you know the state parks takes a little bit of the cut from these businesses you know the businesses get to operate which the people like and you can see the legacy of the success of this bungee jumping in other state parks now like for example at silver falls you can now climb a 250 foot tree with an outfitter there kind of based on the success of this model so I wrote about that a lot, geez, like five or six years ago. And uh, so I just wanted to mention that, that, you know, the Crooked River gave birth to these crazy new things that you can do at some of the state parks, not a ton. And by the way, if you want to know who Peter Skeen Ogden is, uh, it's worth taking a little trip into Wikipedia land because he was a famously violent and larger-than-life fur trader in the early 1800s who engaged in many battles against the Hudson's Bay Company, I'm pretty sure that some of those Netflix shows about the brutal early days of the American West were based on this dude. So, yeah, just take a little journey down Wikipedia if you want to be entertained for about five or ten minutes. Anyway, okay, we've hit camping. We've talked about hiking. We've talked about whitewater boating, bungee jumping. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. But when we return, we'll go deep on the glory of fly fishing the Crooked River. We'll really get into it. So stay tuned for that. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. Beginning in the spring of 2023, the Tillamook Coast Visitors Association is excited to announce a volunteer vacation program that will bring groups from inside or outside Tillamook County to lend a hand in stewardship programs while also having a good time. One example of an itinerary would be spending one day clearing an invasive brush or working on a hiking trail while the next day could include a guided hike or kayak trip, the type of activity that highlights the Tillamook area and shows why doing stewardship projects is so important. All meals and transportation are included for the groups that take part, which will ideally be between eight and 12 people. The experience is free for those who take part. The program is designed to offer participants the opportunity to give back to our popular area while also learning the vital role stewardship plays in preserving our natural places. The program website will launch in March, so stay tuned for that. But if you want more information or to sign up early, contact Dan Hag, and you can reach him at Dan at TillamookCoast, all one word, dot com.
4: I'm Sarah Melton with the American Forest Resource Council. I love the outdoors and exploring the forests near my hometown. My job is to protect our forests and wildlife. I work to defend forest management projects in the courtroom and to support the workers and agencies who steward our forests and public lands. Good forest management based on the best science keeps our forests healthy, improves wildlife habitat, keeps our air and water clean, and gives us the sustainable timber we need for renewable and climate-friendly wood products. AFRC is proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Learn more about us at amforest.org.
0: All right, welcome back. So ever since Charlie started in this internship, he's been chomping at the bit to get out there and write about fly fishing on the Crooked River. So why are you so excited about what makes it such a good stream for your favorite method of angling?
1: Well, as I mentioned earlier, the Crooked River has a pretty glorious density of fish, Uh, predominantly the famed and beautiful red band trout and whitefish. Sections of this river, which often actually coincide with the areas that have great public access, also have really, really great well-rounded fisheries. So when you talk about fly fishing, the Crooked, it, it really comes down to the number of fish and the accessibility of the river that make it so special for fly anglers.
0: Okay, so heading out there, you talked to an expert angler uh, on the area and we're gonna hear an interview on the subject. So set this up a little, who are we Who are we talking to and, and what
1: are they gonna get into? So like I do anytime I'm visiting a river outside of my typical spots around here in the valley, I'm always sure to stop by a fly shop near the river where I'm visiting, where they often have the most extensive knowledge of the fishery and the flies to match it. Uh, In this case, driving through Sisters on my way to Crooked, it made total sense to stop by the fly fisher's place in Sisters and, and chat with the owner, Jeff Perrin, who has fished the river extensively during his many years of living in Central Oregon. He has an in-depth blog on their company website as well, which will tell you all about the rivers surrounding Sisters and their unique fly fishing opportunities. From the Metolius to the Chutes and the Crooked, this guy just really knows it all. So here's Jeff Perrin, owner of Fly Fisher's Place in Sisters. So. What makes the Crooked kind of a, a special place and a special river just when you compare it to other rivers in Oregon and, and even other ones in the region? You know?
4: Yeah, I, I, think, I think that kind of um, blends into a, a lot of different things, a lot of small things or, or medium-sized things that end up making one incredibly great you know, fishery um, you know, relatively stable water. I mean, we've just talked about, you know, kind of low water area in some certain drought conditions, but, but for the most part, the cricket river runs, you know, pretty stable throughout the trout season, you know, throughout, you know, kind of spring, summer, and fall, um, over the years, we've had some low water and high water events occur, but for the most part, it's very stable, making it easy to access you know making it easy for anglers to to get in it and wait it and enjoy it and wait across the river and back and you know not feel like they're going to drown on any any excursion out there um so it's accessible you know and and to add to that accessibility it has that that road that comes up from prineville or or down from alfalfa across the dam um and you know the road is is down in the in the canyon it's it puts you right next to the river and you can park in, you know, 50 different spots and walk from there. And, and, yeah. uh, and, and again, that adds to the accessibility. Um, I think that the, one of the things about the Crooked River, that's, that's probably one of the most special things is it has a very high fish count per mile. I mean, compared to even the lower Deschutes, which is, you know, one of Oregon's greatest trout streams, the Crooked River is, um, oftentimes, you know, twice as many trout per mile as, as even a bigger river like the mm-hmm. Liberty Shoots. Do the fish run a little bit smaller? Yeah, generally, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, but for a lot of people that doesn't matter. You know, they're not there for the trophy. They're there for the overall experience. They're there to, you know, catch a few or quite a few fish. And, and the Crooked River has always been kind mm-hmm. of that place that you can, you can do that. Right. Right or wrong, people tend to Go out and, and become a little bit of a fish hog on a place like the Crooked River. When the bite is on, it's one of those places that you can catch, you know, more than 50 fish a day. You know, there's lots of people that say, "Oh, I caught a hundred fish on the Crooked River today," and they might have, you know, or they or they might be exaggerating that a, a little bit. But we'll give them some grace because they're fishermen. There's probably not a lot
1: of other rivers in Oregon where you could do what you can do at the Crooked River. Mm-hmm. So what I've heard about. The fish density, and you mentioned this; it, it's very high, right? Yeah. And but I've, I have heard that it varies. It fluctuates, right? Based for sure. on where you're at in the river, mm-hmm. um, what areas are you going to find the most fish per mile? I mean, what I've heard is is kind of closer to the dam. Is that is that true in your experience? That's true in 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 not only my
4: experience, but also in my paying attention to the science and and watching the. So so every June, um, you know, ODFW goes over there and they run a, a raft um, down the river, a pontoon raft down the river with an electroshock, you know, set up to batteries. And they, you know, they shock the water enough that, you know, it doesn't damage or hurt the trout or the whitefish, but they, they're stunned so much that they temporarily float up mm-hmm. to the surface and they can, you know, count how many fish, you know, in a certain area and, and, extrapolate that, you know, data to really get a, a, pretty good sense of what the actual fish population is. And I've seen that, that count go as high as like 7,000 trout per mile on some years. I know that it's fluctuated a lot down, you know, between 2,500 and, you know, 5,000 is more, is more usual. Um, but on certain years they've had, you know, great
1: water years, it'll harbor more fish. So tell me a little bit about redside trout and kind of what makes them so beloved. You know, they're something that, you know, many fishermen in Central Oregon are hooked on. Yeah, no yeah, absolutely.
4: Well, I think, um, you know, red-sides, as they're known locally on the Deschutes, are, you know, another name for the native trout that inhabits the Columbia Basin, which is a red-band rainbow trout, red band strain of rainbow trout, and, you know, the historical range of, of red band trout kind of overlaps with bull trout and and whitefish, and, and, and the red bands are, you know, obviously the ones that are probably the most most popular than the most sought after. The other two species are, are pretty special, but the, the red bands are the most sought after. Red bands have, have evolved for eons really in, in this environment, you know, they've, they've, you know, survived ice ages. They've survived, you know, droughts. They, they've, you know, they've, uh, they've, they've re-inhabited places that, that became, you know, habitable places, habitable places because of ice age movement and, and that sort of thing. They, they're really well adapted to the waters that are here. So, you know had had they have not had that you know thousands and thousands of years if not longer of uh being able to survive environments like this maybe the fish in the crooked river you know during these times of terrible drought um wouldn't have done so well you know had they have been you know a a stocked fish from a fish hatchery raised at the metolius or the fall river or someplace you know these are these are native trout they they've they've been through worse Mm. you know and so they're they're incredible fish um red band trout uh you know depending on their environment can can grow to you know a nice size um they're not going to be the biggest rainbows out there in the world but um you know it's not uncommon to catch you know 12 to 20 inch red band trout and then some smaller desert streams, they, they may kind of max out at 12 inches. Um, the crooked river, like I said, you know, you're going to find a lot of red band trout in that river, um, that, that are probably going to run, you know, somewhere between about six and 14 inches with, with the occasional fish going, you know, 16 to 20.
1: Mm-hmm. So there's a, a less desirable sort of bycatch uh, kind of lesser thought of fish, white fish. That, Yep. yep really thrive in the crooked uh, really
4: thrive. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that species. Well, they really thrive in a lot of places and, and, you know, I, I, I almost, uh, uh, hate to hear you call them a bycatch, um, because they're a native species of, uh, fish. They, they evolved here. They, you know, they belong here just like the red bands and just like the bull trout. Um, and you know, there, there are people, um, Particularly in other states, but but somewhat here in in central Oregon, who have really kind of put a a bad you know bad stigma about mm-hmm. whitefish. Oh, we catch whitefish, we throw them on the bank. Well, first of all, that's illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, they are considered a game fish in the state of Oregon, so um, you don't want to do that, or you could get a pretty big ticket. Um, and you know they're a, they're a really good. Um, indicator of cold and clean water they don't do well in places that don't have cold clean water so um, they require just as cold and clean of water as, as trout do so they're kind of the canary in the coal mine if they start to go well your, your trout are probably going to go next and uh, so I, I you know from a personal perspective um, I think we're really lucky to have fish like whitefish in our streams here you know that the the way they take the fly um the way they fight the numbers that they you know produce uh you know in terms of fish population for our rivers and make them a, a really active you know and catchable fish um for fly anglers. so yeah i'm i'm pro whitefish fish You're for sure fish. yeah i think people are getting more and more of an appreciation of white fish i can remember back in the 80s and, and 90s, every once in a while, I mean, I can remember seeing this guy that would catch whitefish and put them on a, a stringer, like one of those metal stringers that you buy at, a, you know, Swartzen's store. And he'd, he'd kill them all, and then he'd hung them from, like, a sign in the, in the campground parking lot up at Milepost 19 um, with a sign that was, like, the whitefish kill society, kill every single one of these you can get, you know, and, like... Wow, man, that's uh, that's it's pretty extreme.
1: That's pretty extreme, yeah. I'm just wrong. And not, wrong. Not not backed by science by any stretch. Not at all. Yeah. So my next kinda my next few questions are more about getting out and doing it. Where to go? Yeah. What's hatching? What's the fishiest area of the river?
4: Yeah. Well we'll start with that last part. The fishiest area of the river is, is probably from about mile plus twelve where you where you first really enter into the BLM portion of the of the river up to up to mile post 20 which is where the dam is at Bowman Dam uh, you know to, to even take that a little bit further there's a real biological difference in terms of the the hatches and the diversity of, of bugs um, in the first four miles of that compared to the last four miles of that uh, you know proven by people that have studied the entomology and have put, you know, um, drift nets in the river and, and watched biological drift and, you know, picked up a lot of rocks or kick sanded the river. Um, the hatches are just different closer to the dam. The water's a little bit colder um, up there, and it warms up a little bit once you get further downstream. It changes, changes what bugs are available to the fish fish population is probably a little higher as you go up towards the dam but i don't think significantly higher there's still a lot of fish as you move you know down towards milepost 12 i mean one of my favorite places to fish in the summer and fall is actually around milepost 14 um you, you typically get a lot less people there than you get up by the dam so i like to kind of spread it out a little bit not fish all in the same place um And yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's what you're going to find that the, you know, tailwaters tend to not have a ton of, you know, bug diversity like, um, like a Spring Creek or a Freestone River would have. But, you know, the Crooked River is, you know, kind of known as a, as a midge river, has a ton of midges. I mean, if you picked up a, a rock or did a kick scene and, you know, kicked the rocks and silt and weed beds um, a lot of what would end up in your seine net would be, you know, a lot of a lot of midge larvae um, at times, midge pupa. Um, you'll see huge midge hatches out there. Um, the The top two mayflies that hatch in that river are betis or blue wing olives, as most anglers would call them, and pale morning duns. Um, the the betas usually start hatching in early March, um, and they go, you know kind of well into into you know April and early May, and then peter out a bit. And it's not to say that you don't have any, but you have far less during the summer. Then you get um, some uh, mahogany duns that kind of hatch in a little bit for a bit in the springtime. Um, and then a really good pale morning dun hatch throughout the summer and fall. And as those pale morning duns are about ready to call it quits sometime in, in late September or mid-October, um, the betas come back in, in great numbers, usually for about a month. It'll be an overlapping hatch, or oftentimes called a masking hatch, where both will be on the water at the same time, and it can be really important to match one or the other. Oftentimes, the fish will get keyed into one. Um, the river has always been known as kind of a scud um, scud river. That's changed a little bit um, over the years with some of the some of the dry and wet cycles um, a lot of the weed beds that the scuds really thrived in um, had dried up um, and so i don't think there's quite as many scuds as as what there used to be um, which you know is a pretty major food source for for creating fat fat trout um, a lot of protein in the scud um, they are little crustaceans you know for the listeners that are aren't familiar with what a scud is um There are certainly small crayfish that the trout will eat, but I would say that's pretty low on the totem pole for for what's important. Um, Leeches are oftentimes really important. Some aquatic worms show up in the drift and can be um, at times daily important or not. Um, And then the river is a a real caddis factory. There's probably no river in Central Oregon that has the amount of Um, what we call Mother's Day caddis, which is a species of um, Brachycentris. And they um, usually hatch in mid-May. We'll see, you know, this year is a funny year. Things are coming a little bit late. But usually around Mother's Day, we start to see those caddis. And they uh, go for about three to four weeks. And there'll be about two of those weeks where the caddis are so thick it looks like it's snowing on the river with these kind of light-colored caddis fluttering around, usually flying... Upstream sometimes enhanced with their flight upstream by gusts of wind that are coming up the canyon, hopefully gusts of warm wind um, and uh, yeah it's it's pretty you know it's pretty exciting to see those different hatches on the river. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it's, it's super interesting how this river within the same ecosystem you almost have two kind of sub ecosystems that are yep. obviously changing a lot and, and you mentioned how food sources have, have changed grown more sparse in some cases. What are some challenges that come with that, um, and and what are some of those causes? You know, if you could get down to things that that drive change in the food chain. Well, I think that
4: I think the main thing that's caused um, the food chain to to kind of boom and bust on the Crooked River is is quite simply um, just water levels. You know, if if they could ever figure out a way to you know, and, and, and it's 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 probably impossible, but I think there's solutions to making it a little more doable. But it's probably impossible to, to hit it perfect. Um, but if, if, if they could at least keep the Crooked River at like hundred CFS in the winter and then in the in the summertime during the irrigation season kind of keep it at that, you know, two thirty to two hundred and fifty CFS depending on what water needs are are required down river. Um, I think that would be a really, really good thing for just, you know, creating great habitat for bugs, which is then going to be really, you know, down the line that's better for fish, too, both mm-hmm. trout and whitefish, right?
1: right? Well, Jeff, this has been great. Thanks so much. Yeah. Just about all I had, but I really appreciate your time. Yeah. I'm going to be picking out some flies now. Awesome, man. So, yeah. Right. Good. Thank you so much. Yeah, Charlie, you bet.
0: Charlie, that was a lot of great information. Anything else you want to
1: add from your experience fishing up there that
0: uh, you haven't covered or that Jeff didn't get to?
1: Jeff pretty much covered it, Um, but definitely if you need flies, hit up the Fly Fisher's place. They'll get you covered, and then some. Um, Cannot stress enough how great this place is. I hope you guys all get out and enjoy it.
0: All right, well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you liked what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than sixty episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com/explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforests.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening. And we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.